Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to The Big Cruise Podcast and welcome to episode 21. My name is Baz and I'm your host. And in today's show, we'll shortly be catching up with uh, Chris Frame to learn all things maritime history and cruise news. A little later, Pete will be joining us from Clear to talk about his uh, top recommendations for the five best evening shore excursions. And lastly, we'll be joined up by a uh, good friend, Steve, in Paris, who will be uh, telling us about his most recent cruise, which was uh, just a couple of weeks ago on board one of the Penant yachts uh, sailing out of France. Uh, so interesting to see uh, what cruising post-COVID means when you're cruising on a small ship. Now, if you want to be part of the show, we encourage you to do so. Simply head to our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on the Join the Show page, and that's where you can send through a listener question for either myself or any of our experts uh, to answer for you. Or, of course, we encourage you to uh, send in a cruise review. Simply tell us what ship and where you sailed, and then we can arrange a time to uh, catch up over the internet and uh, talk about your most recent cruise experience. We'd love to hear from as many of you as possible. That website, again, is thebigcruisepodcast.com. But without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. And it's that time of the week when we welcome back our good friend, maritime historian and all things cruise news, Chris Frame. Welcome to the show. Great to be back, Barry. Another week. Another week. And uh, before we jump straight into news, let's talk about uh, this week's maritime history. Yes. Yeah, so this one, we're um, in acknowledgement for the recent anniversary of the end of World War II. We're having a look at two ships that were noted by Sir Winston Churchill as having helped shorten the war due to their um, impact and their troop carrying capacity. Can you hazard a guess as to which one they might be? I'm going to go with Queen Mary as one of them and uh, Queen Elizabeth, maybe. Yes, yes, exactly. Ah. The two queens, the originals, um, the two sister ships, they were both involved very heavily in World War II. Queen Mary had been sailing as a passenger ship before the war, and when the war broke out, she was in New York. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was under construction at the time that uh, the war broke out, um, and she was moved under secrecy from 
Clyde Bank all the way across to New York to keep her away from uh, any potential risk of being of being damaged uh, in Great Britain. And the two ships stay, stayed in New York for a while, but they were called up for military service. Uh, Queen Mary was called up first, and she sailed across to Australia and was given wow. a trooping conversion refit in Sydney, um, actually at the Cockatoo Engineering Works there in Sydney. Oh, yeah. Um, and there was sort of a lot of intention when the Queen Mary sailed into Sydney Harbour, as you can imagine. She was never designed to come to Australia, um, being a transatlantic liner. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was given a similar refit in Singapore. And in well, once that was complete, the two ships operated in tandem with each other, doing convoy trooping services from Australia across to the Middle East with Australian and New Zealand troops on board. Okay. Now, when America entered the war, the rest of the ships that were doing the Australian convoy service, many of them were kept on that, but the Queens were pulled off that, that route and were sent for a further refit where their trooping capacity was increased uh, even further. So they were designed to carry around about 3,000 passengers and crew. After their Australian conversion and, and this conversion in Singapore, they were um, able to carry up to 10,000 uh, people. And after their uh, refit, when America entered the war, they were upped to be able to carry 15,000 people, oh. <laughs> um, which you can imagine is just ridiculous. And um, the Queen Mary, she actually still holds the record to this day um, for the most people carried on her ship. She she carried 16,683 people in a single My crossing goodness. between the United States and um, and Great Britain. And they, they were able to carry so many people, but there was a, a lot of, I mean, these ships um, compared to the modern day cruise ships aren't that big. Uh, there are about 83,000 tons, 81,000 tons for Queen Mary, 83,000 tons for Queen Elizabeth. And that's like, a, um, you know, very small compared to big ships like the Oasis class. Yeah. Yet they were carrying many more people than what the Oasis class can carry. So you can imagine it was extremely crowded. There was actually zones set up within the ship. And if you were in a certain zone, you couldn't move within uh, outside of that zone to maintain stability and that sort of thing. The, the troops had a situation known as warm bunk syndrome because the beds were in constant rotation. So <laughs> you would get into the bunk to, or, or into a hammock to have some sleep, but the hammock was already warm because the person had just got out of it before you. <laughs> um, and so basically the complete opposite of social distancing is what they were experiencing on board, on board these ships. Now, they did this remarkable service. These two express liners, they were too fast for their convoys. Um, and actually too fast for uh, their escorts as well. And so for the majority of their crossings, they were sailing at high speed by themselves in the middle of the Atlantic, um, which of course was quite dangerous, but they were extremely fast and they were still managed by their Cunard White Star captains and crew, which yeah. was quite remarkable. End of the day, the impact that they had was remarkable. Between the two of them, they were carrying over th um, 30,000 troops per month on this um, these voyages. They carried 1.25 million people during the duration of the war. And actually half of the divisions that were involved in the D-Day landings were transported to Europe by the Cunard Queens. Uh, and because of this, at the end of the war, Sir Winston Churchill wrote a letter to the Cunard chairman, Sir Percy Bates. And he said in the letter, um, I'm just sort of paraphrasing here, but basically that the work that the Queens did without their impact, the, the war would most um, certainly have been um, extended so like the the day of victory would have been postponed um, and so that is a is quite a an accolade 
for these ships, but a very true one. It's not sort of an exaggeration at all. And of course, there were many ships involved in trooping services. But because the Queens were able to do this massive transportation across the Atlantic, all those other ships were sort of freed up to be able to do lots of um, more direct sort of services and bring people into different areas within the war zone as well. So a huge impact. And, um, you know, with the anniversary of the end of World War II, those two ships um, from Winston Churchill himself uh, were instrumental in the war ending when it did. Incredible. I remember seeing pictures um, of, I assume it was one of the queens with, you know, the the the, the bow and the, the aft decks completely chock-a-block with people, like so many people. Yep. I just assumed that was just arriving or into a port or departing from a port, but that was probably what it was like for the full duration of the transit. Incredible. It was. And the funny thing is that a lot of those pictures that you see are actually the repatriation voyages because the, you know, during the war, they didn't, it was all done with a sort of cloak ah, of secrecy. Of so those yeah. images, whilst again, as you say, absolutely amazing. And they were carrying, you know, way over their normal capacities. Many of those images weren't even the ships when they were carrying the 16, 16,000. <laughs> and still, I mean, I can't even imagine. And there's just the little things that you think about, like the things like feeding everybody, bathrooms for everybody. The likelihood of getting a shower was non-existent. You know, the, the toilet yeah. facilities for 15,000 people must have been horrendous. <laughs> so all these experiences that, um, <laughs> that they had, all these things that they had to think about when they were, turning these ships into these enormous troop carriers and they are to this day the the largest troop carriers the world has ever seen and ho- and hopefully they'll they'll never need anything like that again yeah but of course they were returned to their former glory and returned to uh, service uh, for for ocean going guests mm. um, which is which is again another incredible feat as well absolutely now, just, i think it also just shows us that no matter how hard um you know all of the things that uh, the 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 industry has faced in the past, including things like world wars. It was able to, after the conflict ended, it was able to rebound and become even more popular than it was before. So there is hope. Yeah. Exactly. And in that same vein, in the, the cruise news, um, just after we finished recording the last episode for last week, um, the inquiry into the Ruby Princess was, uh, the, the findings were announced. And um, unfortunately, it hasn't been covered by the media. They have chosen not to share this uh, positive news story. Mm. But Princess was pretty much cleared of any blame um, with respect to COVID on board uh, the Ruby Princess and the, the on, onward spread that became because of that. Um, but the finger was quite firmly pointed in the direction of New South Wales Health and so much so that the, the Premier of New South Wales has actually uh, apologised and uh, obviously they're investigating what they will do moving forward to make sure that this never happens again. But yeah, well, what great the great story out of this is the fact that, uh, as we knew, cruise ships generally do the right thing and uh, in this instance, Princess and all of her crew and shoreside team were definitely uh, not to blame for the disembarkation of those guests. Now, just to update us, Chris, where is Ruby Princess right now? Uh, so the Ruby Princess actually is up in... Um in the Philippines, there's a, there was for a long time a, a huge cluster of ships off Manila in Manila Bay, um, mm-hmm. but that's actually not that um, not that many cruise ships are there anymore. There's an awful lot of uh, container and cargo ships docked or anchored in that area, okay. but Ruby Princess is there amongst a few other cruise ships, and many of the other ones have moved on to other places uh, for long-term sort of layup, um, including visits to Singapore and also off the coast of Malaysia. 
Right, okay. Um, now, keeping with Princess, Princess have just announced a big deployment change. Of course, uh, Diamond Princess has been known as the, the Japanese ship, for want of a better word, for, for a mm. long, long time. But she's actually going to be moved on to elsewhere in the world. She is. So um, she's actually going to be doing some really interesting voyages um, in late 2021 and 2022. Um, and that will see her uh, ventured across to South America, uh, as well as actually take up um, a voyage which will take her to Antarctica, which just sounds remarkable and amazing and so exciting um, to be able to, you know, enjoy a, a voyage to that destination on a ship of that scale, because quite often the voyages to Antarctica are much, much smaller ships. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also going to be, so she's not leaving Japan forever. Um, so she will undertake a Trans-Pacific voyage later in 2022. Um, and then she'll actually be back in Japan in time for the Japanese celebration of Golden Week. Um, so this is an event in late April and early May. And it actually includes, it's like a, a week-long celebration that includes four major public holidays in Japan. Oh, wow. um, and that includes Showa Day, Constitution Day, Greenery Day, and Children's Day. And so they have them all sort of clustered in this one week and make a big celebration out of that week. So Diamond Princess will be back for that now interestingly enough while ruby princess is the australian ship that was australian based ship that was uh tied up in all the coronavirus problems uh diamond princess was actually in japan with with the coronavirus on board at the beginning of the outbreak and yet despite that she will be returning to japan so i don't think that there's any long long lasting problems with her reputation in that market at all yeah, the um, the good thing about Diamond Princess, she had a bit of a refit, and she's got some features which are, are very specific to the Japanese market, mm. like the onsen baths and things. So, um, yeah, like you say, she's she's very much loved uh, by the, the the cruising population up in Japan. So, I'm sure she, as you say, she will be back, and uh, yeah. she'll be once again very very popular. Now, I was expecting you to uh, come out with some Japanese phrases then, but <laughs> you got away with uh, <laughs> English things. Well, for those I don't holidays. know if there's any Japanese listeners. Tell me if I pronounced them right. I'm sorry if I didn't, but. Um... I think three three of them are, are, are fairly easy sort of English translations, <laughs> but one of them I might have made a mess of. <laughs> That's all right. Um, our friends at MSC uh, were back on the water uh, as of last weekend. Uh, the Grandiosa set sail for the first time. She did. So um, a very significant ship setting sail and some fantastic scenes that you can see on, on YouTube and other travel blogging websites of the ship departing and horns. Um, sounding and everybody being very excited for this um, return to cruising. So she departed from um, Genoa in Italy um, and a little bit different. So they're going to have the ability for you to disembark the ship, but if you're going to do so, you have to do so on an organized tour. So previous cruises up to this point that have set sail, it's been sort of at sea voyages only. This one's allowing um, for you to leave the ship at at, at a um, port of call, but you have to do it within the confines of your of your cruise tour, so that they can you know keep an eye on where you're going and what what's going on. Um, and I think that links back as well to a previous conversation we had, um, where the uh, surveys are showing that port calls are still extremely important to people who are who are travelling on ships. Now they have also implemented new health and safety protocols, as you can imagine. Um, this is nothing that, uh, that that's of any major surprise to anybody who's been paying attention to what cruise lines are doing, but things like temperature checks, um, a medical review, and of course, staged um, boarding of um, uh, of the ship. And then they've also gone so far as to have um, 
mandatory hand sanita- sanitation when you board, but they're also going through and checking and sanitizing luggage uh, that's going on board the ship as well. So I guess taking it that one step further than perhaps what we've seen um, up to this point. Yeah, I heard online um, lots of arguments about, you know, should you be forced to take a ship shore excursion? Of course, you're not forced to do it, but yeah. uh, the only way that the ship can reasonably keep you safe is to know where you're going and what environment you're in. So that's the reason for that. But uh, one set of guests chose not to uh, participate and try to get off the ship and do their own thing in Naples on this cruise. And uh, as a result, they were immediately disembarked and mm. refused re-entry to the ship, which is great to show that they're, they're really firm on trying to keep everybody safe. And if uh, yeah. you want to be kept safe, you've got to follow the rules and i think the other thing to keep in mind is that like at the moment cruise lines that i mean it's a very small percentage of cruise lines that are actually re-establishing cruising at the moment and also of those very small number of their ships and it's a it's extraordinary circumstances to be trying to um offer, offer a cruise voyage during what in some places is you know very high levels of coronavirus this isn't necessarily the way it's going to be forever it's mm-hmm. there, will, there will be at one point sort of some some way sort of out of this but it's maybe a little way off yet so these changes things like shore tours where you have to be in a group to go off on to land if that's what you have to do if you want to enjoy a cruise at the moment then that's what you have to do it doesn't necessarily mean that you're never going to have the opportunity to go on a on a yeah. self um, land-based experience in the future it just means at the moment when we're in the middle of coronavirus that's what has to happen to keep people safe exactly exactly yeah. now moving or actually staying in uh, europe um Arosa, which is the river cruise operator which also recently restarted they've just announced a uh, delay to their new ship which they class as an emotion ship yeah so this emotion is quite interesting um it is uh so there's a big push within the industry to try and make the cruise ships themselves greener and i think um you know that's one of the things that we've seen quite a lot of discussion about online with the cruising pause is the emissions and that sort of thing that cruise ships contribute towards um towards global warming and that sort of thing now these emotion ships they have the ability to connect uh to shoreside power and charge batteries which allow them to operate under battery power when they're entering into urban areas so whilst they're um still have the the sort of the uh, fossil fuel burning engines for when they're doing the majority of their um, maneuvers when they're going into areas where they're close by to people and populations they become extremely uh, green with their use of electricity on board so this will obviously greatly improve the air quality for people who live by the places where these ships dock um as I, you might be aware, Arosa is a river cruising company. So this is um, obviously something that can be sort of applied to the scale of the size of ships that are river cruisers. Um, maybe it will give some indication as to what might be done uh, longer term uh, for the cruise industry as a whole. Uh, and we had spoken previously about how some of the ships are being cold ironed because even the big cruise, yep. big cruise ships that go out into the ocean uh, can be connected to shoreside power in some cases. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's... Um, a bit of a change for the way that the ship operates and something that um, Arosa is definitely making uh, a deal of by by branding under this Emotion um, sub-brand within their fleet. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think there will more than likely be plans for further additions uh, of that type of ship into their fleet because they're they're very pioneering in the the river cruise space. Mm. Um, one last bit of news which we don't have on the list here, but I know for the listeners that were listening to Seth last week um, from Holland America Line talking about uh, his product, of course, he did touch on that the Osterdam will be uh, doing the circumnavigation of Australia in late 2021. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, just to let you know, it did go on sale this week. So if you uh, go to your preferred travel agent. Um, or to one of our sponsors, um, they can help you out with uh, cruises, either the full circumnavigation around Sydney return, Sydney to Fremantle, or Fremantle to Sydney across the bottom. So there's a few little sectors also available there. Now, Chris, um, you're always putting your socials up. I know we uh, talked last week about the video that was going up just after we went to air. Um, Anything going up this weekend? Yeah, so last week, if anyone wants to hear more about that Queen story, there's a 16-minute sort of... Uh, video that I put up last week about how they impacted World War II, if you want to hear more. This week, um, a little bit more of a sadder topic, actually. It's actually looking at what happens with ship recycling and how ships are scrapped and what happens to them when they're scrapped and why they're scrapped. Um, And the fact that you can visit more pyramids um, in the world than you can uh, old original ocean liners and and why that is, why why these ships aren't aren't preserved. So um, that'll be up. Uh, by the time this podcast goes to air, and hopefully it will be of interest to some of our listeners. Great. As always, we will pop the link in the show notes. And um, Chris, it is always a pleasure. We'll speak to you again next week. Thanks so much, Barry. Take care. When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evocus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And once again, we welcome our good friend from CLIA, C-L-I-A. Pete is back on the show this time to tell us about the five best evening shore excursions. Pete, welcome back. Thanks, Baz. Yes, evening shore excursion. You know, a little bit controversial uh, for some passengers. You know why? Because they've paid for their cruise, they're mm-hmm. on board, and you know you know the food on cruise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the gastronomy is just unbelievable. We're talking world class. And so a lot of these tours will go out in the night and or do a dinner. And so a lot of the, the passengers feel like, well, why would I need to go out in the city when or wherever it is when I've got everything I have on board? So I've really tried to choose five experiences that um, you'd be wasted by staying on board. Right. Okay. I'm interested. So we start off with uh, number no. five. I got you. I got you there. So number five. <laughs> um, not sure if you've ever done this, but Edinburgh. So no, Edinburgh, never been to Scotland. Yeah. Look, there, there's um, obviously once you get into the city, you have got the Royal Mile, and a lot of people don't realise hidden beneath the city is a tangle of streets, tunnels, vaults, and they are the actual original streets of Edinburgh before the structures were built on top. And, oh, wow. And there used to be vibrant streets. and But now uh, they haven't been used for literally hundreds of years, and they're sort of what we'd call ghost towns. But the shore excursions they have, they have ghost tours. Oh, and wow. really, <laughs> look, I've done ghost tours in the past. I've, you know, um, um, oh, names escape me right now. Um, Tasmania... Well, I'll get that one in a second. Um, I've I've done um, London with uh, um, Jack. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> Those tours. Um, look, I've done a few, but Edinburgh. Uh, it just you know the ambience. The you just you just feel that rich history, 
and it's dark and 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 it's unknown. So every corner is scary. <laughs> and it is a great tour. And there's, there's a number of tours. Port Arthur, by the way, sorry, I was talking about Tasmania. They, they do some really good ghost tours as oh, well. Yep. But uh, yeah, if you're in Edinburgh in the evening uh, and your cruise line officer, try a ghost tour. It's uh, something certainly that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Okay. Another one just added to my list. <laughs> Number yeah. four. Number four, evenings in St. Petersburg. Look, the cruise lines do a good job. We've spoken before on the show about um, how extensive the, the tour program is. But what you also have the opportunity to is gain access to world-famous uh, sites like Peterhof, Catherine's Palace, the Hermitage, uh, the Marinsky Theatre. So you can go do the ballet or an opera or go dine. One of the best nights I ever had was in the Catherine's Palace, having vodka after vodka with my guests and we're <laughs> dancing away. Um, they, the Russian hospitality is, is great. Food's a little heavy, but, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it is just a phenomenal experience and you have a lot of options as well. So a lot of places when you're doing a shore excursion at night, you normally have one or two options. But St. Petersburg, you're going to have a lot get out there and embrace uh, the culture. It's great. Brilliant. Number three? Well, speaking of culture, I really wanted to put Buenos Aires uh, into this top five Ooh, because yeah. the Tango Nights. Yep. So look, Tango is one of the most famous and influential uh, dancers you know, across the world and actually originated in Buenos Aires in the 18th century. So uh, the actual dance itself, it, it, it uh, started with... Um, working-class European immigrants and then the indigenous Argentinians were there, former slaves, and they all sort of came together in a cultural sort of mix. And that's where tango was shaped and it's become the Argentinian culture and society. So a lot look, cruise lines do it differently. Some do it at some fancy theatres. I've, I've done that and I've done it in uh, sort of some clubs with plastic chairs and, you know, it's not really the aesthetic sort of place. But it's not about the location. It's It's... It's the feeling in your heart, the, the people around you, the atmosphere. Everyone's just having this great time, and, and you, you 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 go away, you come home uh, onto the ship, which is home for many. Um, just this great appreciation of the culture and what tango uh, is for Argentines, what it uh, represents, and it's it's yep. a really great night. No, I know what you mean. On a different level, I used to live in Spain for a long time and um, you've seen hundreds of flamenco shows, but if you see mm. a really good flamenco show, it, it really does move you. It's very different, yeah. Uh, number two? Completely different pace. Um, one of my favourite uh, areas of the world is uh, Old Burma, Myanmar, and oh, of yeah. course the Port of Yangon. So um, visiting the Shwedagon Pagoda through the day is stunning in itself. Um it's the most sacred Buddhist pagoda in Myanmar. It's uh, covered in gold and it's just unbelievably stunning. But having done it at night as well, it, it just takes on a whole different ambience. And it's different to, you know, taking a picture of the Eiffel Tower at night or something like that because it, it's still a sort of cultural or religious living body through the whole day and night, there's monks going, you know, chanting yeah, through yeah. And, and, you know, praying and, and people cleaning. And it's just a, it's life in this location, which if you've ever seen photos, Shwedagon Pagoda, it's got this giant gold stupa right in the middle and you can see it for hundreds of kilometres. It is one of the most beautiful sights. And then once you're in there, especially at night, it's, I think at night it's a piece. There's a piece about it, which 
at the day you just don't necessarily grasp. Uh, so yeah, Yangon, Shwedegon Pagoda, definitely do that in the evening. Okay, and I'm curious, number one. Well, talking about places that you can visit in the day yet still revisit at night but have two completely different experiences. Yeah. I, I know you're hanging on this. I am, I am. Kishadasi. <laughs> um, oh, okay, yep, yep. Yes. Know it well. People say uh, Kusa, uh, Kusadasi, but the, the locals have told me it's Kushadasi, although you live yep. there, you should uh, be able to tell me. Yeah, Kush, yeah. Kushadasi. Uh, look, so Ephesus. Um Architectural, uh, architectural, archaeological site. Uh, through the day, you walk down, and you got your guides pointing you out to different locations. But at night, it's not you're necessarily seeing the archaeological site. You're being taken to an area. It's normally the Library of Celsus, or there's also a, a theatre there that can hold up to twenty five thousand spectators if you put them all together. Yep. But uh, exactly normally it's the library. Mean. And, and the way it's lit up at night and then you have um, your butlers walking around with their hors d'oeuvres and champagne and, and the, the performances will change. Some will, depending on the evening that you're in, uh, either an opera or a theatre. Um, so, but I have to say, out of all the excursions around the world in an evening, that is definitely a, a life memory and... Even if you've been there through the day, they in fact through the day you, you sort of stop at the you start at the top of the hill and go down and do a proper you know guided sort of tour thing. Yeah. But at night you go through a different area and go straight into the library. So it's a completely different tour. It's just the same location, but it is a life memory that will stay with you and you can share with your friends. It's just stunning. Have you ever yeah. had the chance to do that one, Baz? I've not done the evening. I've done. Uh, F- um... Ephesus many times during the day um, and it's an incredible place but very busy and incredibly hot. I would love to go back and actually just a couple of weeks ago I was watching a video from Windstar Cruises because they do on every cruise that they go there they have an evening, um, a private evening with dinner and canapes and a a performance and the video just looks magical. Oh, it's great. It really is great. Pete, it is always a pleasure. We look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks, Baz. podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. Uh, they have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing. But most importantly, each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. And next up on the podcast, it is uh, my favorite American living in Paris. We welcome Stephen to the podcast. Hey, Barry. It's great to hear your voice. It's been a while since we saw each other, and um, it's always fun to catch up. It is. It is. Now, uh, full disclosure here, you, of course, uh, work for the beautiful company, Penant, based in the Paris office. But you uh, have been lucky enough to sail on one of their first cruises back into operation out of the port of Nice. So I thought I'd catch up with you and see how it all went for you and your family. Yeah, it was it was really fantastic. I mean, we've, as we all know, uh, in the cruise industry, the last couple of months have been a, a huge challenge, and uh, uh, we decided that we we're going to give it a go. We have the size ship that allows uh, for a quick turnaround in terms of scheduling, and also putting in place a protocol that's a bit easier to follow than perhaps if you're on a ship with multiple thousands of people. But we decided that you know we'd go back to our origins and start sailing around. Uh, the out of ports in France, and I was able to get on the uh, August 8th departure on the Lyrière, which is a uh, 
232 passenger ship. We were about 180 packs on this. Um, nice. Out of Nice, circling around Corsica, which if you haven't been to, beautiful. it is an absolutely beautiful island. I mean, you have uh, beautiful villages, you have great food, you have beaches that are uh, re- reminiscent to me of, of the Seychelles in terms of the, the turquoise quality of the water, the snorkeling. And it's, um, you know, mountains as high as 20, 2,700 meters. They even get snow there sometimes. So it's a, oh, wow. it's a, it's a quite dramatic island. And uh, we, we did a seven-night cruise. It was also a, a music theme, uh, and there was also a kids' club because it was obviously summer vacation, and, and yep. people were bringing their children and grandchildren on board. And it was, I'll be honest, it was fantastic. I mean, the sun was there every single day. It was hot. My daughters were in the water. We were swimming every day. We were kayaking. Uh, we did, I did actually did a, a scuba dive, uh, which was fantastic. And, of course, the French food. Uh, and people just seem to be very happy and, and you know, uh, dancing and, and singing. And, of course, every single person on board the ship had to have proof that they were tested a negative for COVID. There was checks throughout the cruise. Every time we left the boat, uh, our temperature was taken. Every time we returned to the boat, our temperature was taken. But we tried to create more of an expedition-type cruise whereby – We'd go to a lot of places where it would only be us, you know, deserted beaches, um, you know, snorkeling, swimming around. And there was a few stops in some of the small, beautiful villages like Calvi and Bonifacio. But there, of course, we mm-hmm. would be in masks and everything else. So um, it was it was a terrific, great way to relax. And uh, and the crew, I mean, there was a speech by the cruise director. Uh, she got quite emotional because it's been a tough couple of months. And she said, you know, sure. without you guys, um, we would not be able to do this. And we're proud to be among the first, if not the first, company to be back in the water again. Yeah. As you say, um, Penom being one of the first ones back in the water, what's the reaction from the the general public when you, you arrive in these destinations? Are they still quite welcoming of the ship and appreciate the, the, the dollars that have been brought in, or is there a bit of apprehension? There was a bit of both, actually. I've run into some of the... Um some of the local merchants who were quite pleased. And then there was a couple of people who were saying, well, you know, what's going on here? And then we, I, I would try to talk to them and explain all the process. And, and yeah. um, you know, they, they're, they're understandably um, concerned. But um, I think if you explain to them that, you know, everyone on board has been tested, it's, it's quite we, – we create what we call a, a bubble, a COVID bubble, yeah. where everything is constantly being tested and retested. And so – I think they were they were reassured, and actually, quite a few people were a bit jealous, and they would they would. <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, give us give us a call. We'd love to take it on board, you know." And um, uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, a ship of our size, Barry, it's not like it's a descending army. I mean, if you you yeah. get a Zodiac coming off the ship or a tender, there's maybe twenty, thirty people at a time, so it's not quite as overwhelming as maybe some of the bigger ships might be. They're going to have uh, to face a bit more of a challenge in that in that regard, um, but. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, and you, you put in a new protocol and you have to test everybody, when it's about 150, 200 people, it's still a uh, something that's easable, easy, easy to maintain. Manageable. Yeah, exactly, yeah. manageable. And what about the, the guests on board, your fellow travelers? Were they quite uh, receptive to, to wearing the masks where they needed to? Was there any objections that you noticed? No, everyone seemed to – I mean, they, they realized um, that it was a minor inconvenience, but, you know, as I – uh, we, when we were walking around the public areas, um, we would have to. They, we were asked to wear a mask, and everyone I saw complied. And when we sat down to dinner, or when we had a drink, or we were in the theater for listening to music, um, obviously we could take the mask off. And um, at night, 
you know, there'd be music, dancing, drinks. I think people were, were uh, more than happy to make those little adjustments uh, when they saw how seriously we were taking it with all the uh, testing and, and uh, temperature taking. And um, they, they missed cruising. They wanted to get back out and look at I mean, I, I have some um, incredible photos of, uh, and I, I personally just like to get on board um, and watch the world go by. It's a nice way to take yeah. a break from all the things that are going on at the moment. Exactly. Getting away from a busy city like Paris and exactly. just being out on the med. And, exactly. Oh, I'm so jealous, mate. I wish, <laughs> wish I could have been there. The weather was it was in the high 30s the whole time. Beautiful, absolutely gorgeous weather. So Fabulous. And obviously, you two, you, you, your kids are not young now. They're a little bit uh, more yeah. grown up. Did they, right. they appreciate the, the cruising opportunity? Well, yeah. My, my oldest is 20, and I have another daughter who's 16. And uh, they, you know, you know how teenagers can be. They're kind of blasé, but they were – they were thanking me every day almost. I mean, it's like, Dad, this is great. Uh, you know, uh, people would come by the pool and ask them if they'd like a drink. They're not used to that kind of level of service. Um, <laughs> and for girls who usually sleep pretty late in the day, they were up at eight doing uh, snorkeling or swimming or going on a, pi- a kayak, stand-up paddle. Uh, and there were quite a few other kids. So they were able to mingle and, and, and meet, meet people and have some, some lunches with the other people. So they, they loved it. I mean, it was... It's easy. I mean, it's great food. Um, yeah. There's a there's a very relaxed ambiance on board. There's always something to do. Uh, there were days where they just sat in the sun all day, and days they didn't stop from the morning until the end of the until midnight. So, I mean, it, for families, uh, there was quite a few families on board. I think we had about 32 children. There was older couples. There was uh, you know people in their 40s, 50s. It was a good mix. I mean, really good mix. I think uh, that destination and that time of year creates a very um, diverse crowd. I mean, obviously some of our longer cruises, Antarctic and things like that, it's a different story, but it was quite a young young crowd on board. Yeah, no, that's really good news because, as you say, particularly here in Australia, we think of Penant and we think of expedition to cold exactly. destinations, and even the Kimberley, which tends to attract that older clientele. But yeah, cruising around the Med on a, a beautiful yacht like Le Riel would be a, a perfect summer's getaway, I reckon. A good statistic there is when we, we launched this, these new cruises around France, you know, we reshuffled our entire summer schedule. And within two weeks, we had, for us, a huge amount. We had about 3,500 paths to sign on. So that was a huge yep. vote of confidence um, from our, our – our, and actually, I talked to a few people because uh, it wasn't just our loyal fans. There were quite a few, few people who were new to cruise on board, uh, which was interesting for me, and they said – you know, we just wanted to do something. Uh, we didn't want to have to fly anywhere too far away, and this was a great opportunity. And uh, the ones I talked to, three or four people who were first-time cruisers, they absolutely loved it. They were asking me for what, what's next. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's as I said, I I I hope that the entire industry is back soon. But I think, as you can imagine, the smaller ships, the expedition type ships. Um, are the ones that are going to be uh, the first back in the water. It's, it's because of it, where they go, where they can go to, the access they have, and the size of the people, the number of people on board, it makes it a bit easier to, to manage. Oh, I couldn't agree more, mate. Now, before we let you go, let's, uh, let's find out about life in uh, Paris and France in general during COVID and now that you're kind of coming out the other side of it. <laughs> um, well, What's it like in know, Paris with no tourists? Well, to be honest, I... I um, it's kind of a reprieve, you know, we, I mean, we're the most visited city in the world. Um, and everywhere you go, uh, you're kind of 
pushing through crowds. And obviously the city needs that and, and, and we want it back. But to go to the Louvre and actually have spent and not be jostled and to walk along the <laughs> river. And it's like Paris for the Parisians. Um, there was a couple times during the confinement when we'd go for walks in the evening, my wife and I, in our neighborhood. And it was just very peaceful, which is not a word usually you use to describe yeah. Paris. Um, so for that, it was interesting. But, you know, obviously, um, it's nice to see the cafes open again, the restaurants, the the, the shops. Um, and, you know, when, when the tourists come back, um, we're ready for them, which they will. I mean, Paris always will be Paris. I think that um, it's maybe just a... Uh, a way to rethink how we do things maybe. And, and, and you know, the, the mass uh, bus loads of people coming everywhere. It might, it might be something that we have to rethink, but I, I, uh, uh, Paris is ready. We're preparing for the 2024 Olympics. There's a lot of things happening culturally in the city. And, um, uh, you know, it's just sort of a pause. We hit the pause button for a little while, but uh, I, I, I predict by this time next year, uh, they'll be back to where it was, if not better. Sounds good. Well, uh, <laughs> hoping to get back there myself and hoping to catch up you with in the, was it the Horseshoe Bar we last saw each other? Absolutely. The Petit Fer Cheval, my favorite little cafe. And, and uh, you will always be my um, my welcome guest when you come into town, Barry. No worries. Look, <laughs> look forward to it, mate. <laughs> really appreciate the update and uh, glad to have you on the podcast. We'll speak again very soon. My pleasure. Take care, Barry. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.